Welcome, everyone, and especially if you are new here uh, to our church today. Uh, you know, if you're new as young adults uh, or if you're new as students, uh, you're very welcome, dear. Uh, my name is Aiden. If we haven't met, I'm the pastor of this church. And our church, uh, just as quick information, uh, we serve uh, you know, college and grad students as well as working young adults, you know, singles and families, and we strive to uh, you know, grow as a community, you know, for everyone in, you know, various walks of life. So, um, again, thank you for, you know, visiting, if you're visiting today, and um, I hope that you have a great time, you know, worshiping together. Uh, you can also join us for other events that are coming up uh, next few weeks. That'll be great, too, but um, I hope you um, have a great time, you know, together with the people that you have met today. And welcome back if you are coming back to campus. Um, hope you had a great summer. Uh, good to have you back. It's really good to you know, be together after a long summer. And uh, may God uh, bring us together as we uh, embark on the new uh, you know, church slash uh, calendar, not calendar, school year. So, so this fall, uh, for our <clears throat> sermon times, we will resume studying the Gospel of Mark. And today we'll start from where we left off uh, from last fall. Uh, and we will study, therefore, uh, Mark 4, uh, verses 1 through 20. And um, if you were here last year, uh, you would remember that the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, is really about uh, who Jesus is and what he has done. And I'm really excited. Uh, again, as a church, that we get to learn about Jesus because I believe with my whole heart that he is the hope of the world. So may we uh, grow in more faith in him as we study this book uh, this fall. So please turn with me to Mark 4, uh, verses 1 through 20. I'll read, read the whole passage for us, and then I'll pray, and then we'll jump right into the of the message. So Mark 4, 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out, went out to sow. And as he, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up, in, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word was sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on, it, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. It is God's word. Uh, please bow your heads with me. and Let's pray together before we go any further. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this time, thank you that uh, you love us uh, constantly, unconditionally, so that we can always bank on uh, your steadfast love towards us. Uh, on our good moments, on our um, challenging moments, and at any moments, you are uh, loving towards us. Thank you for that. And uh, you know, in faith in that great love for us, we come before you. Uh, knowing that you want to feed us with your word, that you are uh, speaking to us right now uh, through your word. So uh, may you uh, work powerfully through your spirit. And as we uh, shall learn indeed about uh, the condition of our hearts that um, you know, either receive or reject your word through this passage, um, may I uh, you know, pray preemptively right now that, uh, that your spirit would uh, give all of us here a uh, good soil of our hearts to receive your word and multiply it and bear much fruit uh, that uh, are pleasing to you and pleasing to our neighbors and one another, God. Uh, thank you, Lord, for this time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we got three points for us just to help us follow along. Uh, those are the seed of God's word, second, the seed rejected, and the seed em, uh, embraced. And the title for this message is called The Parable of the Sower. So please follow with me. Uh, first point, the seed of God's word. So this passage might be uh, familiar for some of us, but this passage starts with Jesus teaching a large crowd uh, by the sea, probably the Sea of Galilee, 
and he's teaching them in parables. And the parables are stories that employ um, real-life metaphors you know, in order to teach important truth about the kingdom of God. That's illustrations, uh, so to speak. And in one such parable in today's passage, you know, Jesus talks about a sower or a farmer you know, who scatters seeds you know, everywhere in the field, uh, hoping that he would uh, you know, reap some fruits or grains in return. And that's how the story goes. And, and then we see that the seeds that were scattered end up falling into four different kinds of soils. And in the three of them, uh, the seeds fail to bear fruits, while in the other soils called good soil, they do bear abundant fruits. So that's how the parable went. And you know, thankfully, Mark and Jesus, in, in fact, gives us interpretation of what this means. And we find out later in the passage that this is about, this is a metaphor for uh, one's spiritual growth. It's not just, you know, random agricultural story, but there's a meaning of, you know, how one grows spiritually. And under that banner, we find out the identity of the seed. So look with me to verse 14. It says, the sower sows the word. So the seed that the sower scatters is the word, the word of God that Jesus and his disciples preach. Meaning that it is the word of God you know, that essentially changes people's hearts and grows them spiritually. The, the growth, spiritual growth doesn't happen in a vacuum. It is the word of God that change people's hearts. You know, there can be some, you know, creative tactics and, you know, things that we can do to facilitate people's growth, to be sure. But ultimately, it is a word of God, you know, that must be taught and embraced in order for us to expect any fundamental change in our lives. You know, I came across this uh, video. I'm not going to show you here, but... Um, it's a video on this uh, online newspaper website. It's titled, The Best Way to Help You Develop Gratitude. And I was intrigued because I want to be thankful, right? So I, I clicked on it and I started watching it. And there, a person was teaching how to be more grateful. And she said, the, the best way to feel grateful is to take a deep breath in and then breathe it out. And take a deep breath in and let it out. And as you do that several times, you think about positive things. And she said, that will surely work. I tried it. And I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I actually became ungrateful because it didn't work for me and made me feel frustrated. And maybe, you know, I just didn't do the exercise well or, you know, follow the instruction carefully. And, and to be sure, there is a value to, you know, physical exercises like that and healthy thinking, to be sure. But gratitude, as we all know, has to do with uh, the condition of our hearts deep inside, right? And for there to be lasting change in our hearts, you know, we need 
we need something that goes beyond the tactics. We need the words of the one who created us, the one who saves us, the one who transforms us, the word of God. Now, Psalm 19, 7 says, the law, the word of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. That's why in our church, you know, we believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. It's authoritative word of God because, you know, God, through his ordained human authors and agents, has written down his holy word in the Bible so that we have everything we need there to know who God is and how to live our lives. And in fact, God is still speaking through the words in the Bible. And he is changing us whenever the word is preached, whenever the word is studied, applied, and you know, embraced. The word of God. So in order to have true meaning and purpose in our lives, if you want to change and have healing and you know, that your life could be shaped in the right way. The word of God has to be the measure of our individual lives as well as in our church. The word is the seed of our growth. Second, the seed rejected. So now, so far it sounds simple enough, right, that we need the word to grow. But the reality is that many people still don't experience growth, don't experience change, even though they encounter the word, you know, in their lives, in the church, or even they, they read it carefully, still no change. The question is, why is that? So we'll find out why as we study the, the four different soils in the parable. And first we'll look at the three, first three soils to see why some people don't experience the growth that is promised. Verse 15, it says, And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Now, before I came to CLC in this church, I was a youth pastor for three and a half years. And I remember uh, one student of mine in the youth group shared her Christian testimony. And she said that she grew up in the church, you know, all her life from birth. And she would hear the, you know, Bible messages every single week because she was there at the church every single week. But then the message of the Bible would go into one ear, but it would come out, come right out, you know, the other ear. It never really registered in her mind and heart until later when she actually understood the message when she was older and when she experienced God. 
So that's like before her conversion, that's exactly what this soul is talking about. You know, people would hear the word, they would read and even watch, you know, videos about the word. There's no real interest in their heart. You cannot force them to have interest, right? If you don't have the interest in their hearts, the word will indeed go into one ear and out the other ear with no impact. And the word would not take any root in the heart, and it's not going to do anything to change the person's life. And of course, you know, our enemy would not uh, you know, lose that chance. So Satan comes and takes away the abandoned word of God from our lives. In the second soil, 16 and 17, it says, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when the tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Uh, here we're seeing the, the shallow soil uh, with the, on top of the bad rock, right? So there's shallow level of soil, and then the bottom is the rock, hard rock. Uh, so, you know, we see the plant growing, you know, outwardly, thinking, make, making us think that, oh, it's growing. But then obviously, because of the shallow depth of the soil, the root is not going any further deep down. So therefore, when the extreme weather happens, like scorching heat, it'll wither away. When it comes to our spiritual lives, here's what happens in this soil. You know, Christianity does present benefits when we first encounter it, right? For some of us, you know, when you first hear the word, you may discover the great love of God, that he loves you, uh, that he accepts you in Jesus Christ. And then you also realize, oh, you are also accepted and loved in the community too and, you know, by other you know, people of God. It's great benefits. So you may say, sign me up. I, I want to follow this religion or Christianity or whatever it's called, I want to do it. But then if the word is only remaining on that level of excitement, but the, the bad rock of your heart is underneath it, it has not been penetrated by the word, what's going to happen is that if other things come into your life that give you more benefits, more apparent benefits than Christianity, you'll sign up for the other things. At that point, we have to admit, please forgive the, um, you know, the vulgarness of this phrase, but God was basically only a friend with benefits, right? We chose him because of the apparent benefits, of it, but there was no commitment on our part. And therefore, there's no change in our life because there's no, no root in our hearts by the word. And lastly, last soil. 18 and 19, it says, and others are the ones sown among thorns. There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. There's progression here, right? The first one, first soil, you know, the seed doesn't even, you know, 
get to try to take root. Second soil, you know, uh, kind of, but it's withered away. And then last one, it, it shows that it survived. You know, there are some roots planted in the soil. But then the thorns are choking uh, the, the plant so that, you know, it fails to bear fruit, meaning that in this soil, spiritually, uh, you know, the, the word does take root in the heart, but there's too much competition in the heart. Um, and in my front yard, um, you know, we have flowers, flowers, and air quotes because they don't look like flowers. Like for example, this one flower that used to be bright purple, now it's brown. And there are a lot of flowers like that. It's because there are, interestingly, the thorny weeds that are choking them. And I just don't have, you know, I guess I just don't have care anymore um, to like do anything about that. I, I gotta do that some, at some point, but maybe later. Uh, it's literally choking the plant. Um, and what's happening is that the nutrition that is supposed to go up from the, the root to the flower, uh, the, the nutrition is instead going to the, the thorny weeds. So the, the nutrition that the flower needs is not getting it. Likewise, in this soil, our heart's devotion is supposed to go up to the word and hang on to the, the biblical values to live but instead the nutrition, our devotion goes to other things. So therefore, no fruit, no change. And now, in all three of these soils that we just looked at, there's one commonality. The commonality is that people do not allow God and his word to completely penetrate our hearts. That's what's common in, this, in all three cases. And what's interesting is that Mark you know, depicts this in a very clever way. So follow with me to uh, verses 10 to 12. It says, when, he, when Jesus was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you, those who are near, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, Everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. You see, Mark is making a distinction between two groups here. First are those who are around Jesus besides the, the 12 disciples who are seeking to know more about the word. That's why they came near to Jesus. And the other group are those who are outside. The first group, those who are around Jesus, you know, Jesus says the secret, meaning that the privileged information of or knowledge of God's kingdom is given to them because they are near so that they can you know, have the word penetrate their hearts even more so they, they really grow, they bear fruit. So that's the first group. But the other group, in contrast, they're outside. There's a distance between Jesus and this group. 
and they fail to experience lasting growth. Why? Because, because of the distance, you know, they, you know, intentionally rather, there's a distance so that they, you know, do not let Jesus, you know, come to their hearts or rearrange their lives. They want some space between themselves and Jesus. They want their lives to be preserved the way they want it. So they simply scroll past the word. They may know it in their hearts, but they, they do not want Jesus to come to their hearts and change the order of their house. That's the difference here. If you go to the next slide, um, you know, I found this interesting article on CNN, and it's titled, uh, More Teens Becoming Fake Christians. And the thesis of this article or news report is that you know, many teenagers are you know, buying into the, the view of God that, that says God exists to make them feel better. Uh, so they believe that this God would let them do whatever they want as long as those things make them feel good about themselves. And this God would never, ever make them suffer, that he would never make them sacrifice the things that they, they cherish in their lives. He would never do that. And then interestingly, this is a secular article, right? But interestingly, the article makes a judgment saying that this is not a true Christianity. The author says that true Christianity is supposed to encourage people to take risks and sacrifice for the greater goods, not be selfish and, you know, uh, let God be a gene in a bottle. And I thought this was a very sobering article. But I would argue that it's not just teenagers. I would argue it's, it's everyone that feels that way. I mean, if we're honest, me included, we want God to do whatever we want in our lives. Or, or like Mark says, you know, we want to stand outside and get to know about Jesus from distance, but don't come too close because you're gonna mess up my life. You're gonna make me do a lot of un in, you know, inconvenient things that I don't wanna do. And therefore what? The result is no change, no healing, no lasting fruit. And that's what makes Christians weak and powerless we're not letting the word change our lives. And by the way, if we're to apply this article to our context, I would probably change the title, uh, you know, change the, the wording fake Christians because I think it would be unhealthy in any community that people start calling others fake uh, and somehow ele elevate themselves. I think the, probably the better title might be, again, the powerless Christians, uh, meaning that we all fall short. I fall short many times. And we want, in different seasons of our lives, in our journey with Christ, uh, you know, we want God for our benefits. We all admit that. And we admit that when we do that, we are weak. But not necessarily fake. Just want to clarify that there before we move on. So again, the seed rejected and therefore no change. Are we like that? 
And lastly, the seed embraced. Verse 20, it says, But those that that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So now we only have one soil left, which is a good soil. And obviously these are the people who do let the word penetrate their lives deep into their hearts and even let the word and Jesus rearrange their lives according to what the Bible says. So there's change. But here's what's more important than that. So follow with me to verse 10. Back to where we were before. It says, And when Jesus was alone, those around them with the twelve asked him about the parables. Meaning these people, not only do they just approach Jesus to learn more about the knowledge of the word, to be sure, that's one purpose. But ultimately, these are the people who come close to Jesus. It's not just about your head knowledge, knowing more about what the Bible says. It's about knowing the word of God, the the personified, the word of God, according to John 1. Jesus is the word of God, personified. When we get to know him personally, he's the very word that changes us. And my friends, that's the key in Christian life. It's not about, again, learning more, having more things in our heads. It's about communing with Jesus. You see, first of all, for that to happen, Jesus had to die for us. He had to rise again for us so that we can be in his arms, so that we can have relationship with him because there's sin separating us without his sacrifice. And from there on, whenever we come to him now in Christ, you know, we find his grace. He knows we fail all the time, but he covers us. He restores us. We can always come to him. And then, through the word, through his word, we hear his voice, his will towards our lives. And through our prayers, we talk back to him, so to speak. Meaning there's a conversation now. There's a personal relationship. And as that relationship deepens, that's how Jesus transforms us. How? He makes us resemble him. Again, not just about the words on the page, but he makes us more like him through a deeper relationship with him because he's now a friend. That's what happens in our friendships, right? We become like our friends. That's how Jesus changes us. It happens through his word. We hear that and we pray. We talk back to him. Our our relationship grows with him. That's how we change. Charles Simeon, um, probably next slide, He's a a famous English preacher from the 18th and 19th centuries. Uh, He's really a big name if you um, get to know uh, different church history. And uh, there's uh, this thing called Charles Charles Simeon Trust, which is kind of like a boot camp for preachers, um, which still exists um, in in the U.S. and Europe right now. So he's a very great preacher, well-known. But apparently, when he was younger, he was 
uh, a bit rough around the edges, apparently, when he was younger. And one day, uh, he met a neighboring pastor named Henry Van and his daughters. Just FYI, apparently Henry, Henry Van is a great-grandfather of John Van, who invented Van Diagram. Cool, yeah, all right, so that's the neighbor that he met. And apparently Henry Van's daughters thought Charles Simeon was you know, rather harsh and arrogant in his character. But to that, Henry Van apparently said this, or, or he first told them to pick an unripe peach from the trees, and then he told them, well, my dears, it is green, the peach is green now, and we must wait. But a little more sun and a few more showers, the peach will, will be ripe and sweet. And so it is with Mr. Simeon. Meaning Henry then saw what God could do to this young brat at the time. And indeed, over the years, you know, apparently Simeon's character did change, and he wanted to become again a very faithful servant of God during his era. And one of his friends, you know, witnessed uh, about his life. Uh, he 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 said that the change that happened in his character was certainly due to Simeon's commitment to read the Bible and pray daily. No other formula. That's all he observed. And then he said this about Charles Simeon. He said, here was the secret of his great grace and spiritual strength. That was all. That's what changed him. The word, my friends, are, is the seed. And as we approach Jesus you know, through uh, this book, as we are going to be studying, uh, this book through the semester uh, in our life groups um, and, and in your daily devotionals uh, as you approach the Bible, may you see the reality that you're approaching Jesus, hearing his word and talking to him you know, in prayer. And, and growth, personal spiritual growth in, in all of our lives will take time. Uh, just as it takes there's a long time for a seed to grow and for a, a peach to ripe, become ripe. It'll take a long time, but the promise is that God will certainly change us by his word. And let me encourage you with this. This means that we all have hope. Anybody is welcome to God's word and embrace it and no matter who you are, no matter your background, no matter what your struggle is, you are welcomed to God's word. And you can be changed. God can change anybody. And may we let God's word penetrate our hearts. May there be no distance between us and Jesus. And may we experience God's blessings and his change in our lives, individually, but also especially as a church. Let's pray together.
before we finish with the song, uh, let's just take some time uh, responding to the word uh, that he just uh, spoke to us through his very word. And may we just come before him uh, as we are and receive his grace it doesn't matter what you have done uh, even last night even you know 1 p.m uh, today his grace is always available and the promise is that he can change us he can heal us he can restore us would you believe that? And with faith, let's approach the throne of God together and find grace. And as we do that, may the word be the foundation of our lives on which we build our lives.